You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1101 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Saturday evening into Sunday. And thank you as always for joining us on the podcast today and making the Locked on Hawks podcast your first listen each and every day. Check us out on where any podcast can be found, including Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Today's podcast will focus on what became a pretty disappointing game for the Hawks, a 101-95 loss in Cleveland. Um, a little bit, Probably a little bit shorter on this evening. Uh, it's a weekend for one, also sort of a disappointing game in a lot of ways. I'm on the road traveling, so my apologies for any audio um, mess that you might be hearing here from me. But we'll all get through this one together, and uh, we have to show up to work, even if the Hawks do not perform at their absolute best. So we'll dive into the game, as we always do on the podcast. Some stuff before, though, at the outset of this game, some injury concerns, etc., on Friday at practice, Danilo Gallinari returned in limited form, played some one-on-one, according to Nate McMillan, but missed this game, um, was, was listed as questionable, actually, with the same injury that kept him out of the opener on Thursday, ended up being ruled out by McMillan before tip-off at the uh, 4.30 p.m. Eastern time availability for McMillan. Um, also of note, in a positive sense on Friday, was that DeAndre Hunter spoke at practice and said his knee's holding up pretty well after the opener. That's a good sign after all the issues that he had last season with his knee. Click Appella, though, still in restriction, ended up playing a decent amount of minutes in this game, um, played 27 minutes, but that's actually still below most of the other starters, and we don't know his restrictions still at this point in time. McMillan did say before the game started that Capella was on a restriction of some kind, but this is obviously a little, bit more, a little bit more than he played in the opener, so we're getting closer, you would think, to Capella being at a full-go state, and 27 minutes is nothing to sneeze at on the road in this spot. Um, just and this is not a huge surprise, but the Hawks, just for record-keeping sake, were actually eight-point favorites in this game, according to our friends at BetOnline.ag. Um, and that also is worth noting. Cleveland was on the back-to-back in this game. They did play at home on Friday night, um, but you know, given that rest advantage and the fact that Cleveland is not the greatest team in the world, and Darius Garland was out of action for Cleveland, one of their better scores, offensive players. They lost to the Hornets at home by 11 on Friday. So I paced the picture a little bit here, but worth pointing out that the Hawks clearly did not play very well in this game, being an eight-point favorite um, with a rest advantage and then losing by six on the road. Not the greatest result in the world for anyone. As far as top-line thoughts before we actually dive deeper into what transpired, this game was really lost at the end of the second quarter and the beginning of the third quarter. Essentially, the Hawks took a 13-point lead at one point before halftime, and then in the blink of an eye, you know, six, seven minutes later, not even, it was a 12-point deficit. So the Hawks ended up flopping, which we'll get into even with even more depth at the beginning of the third quarter, but they allowed the last six points in the second quarter, and then the third quarter was just a disaster coming out of the locker room, and that basically is what lost the Hawks this game, because they were winning double digits when that stretch arrived, and they couldn't quite get back over the hump. They got back into this game, though, down the stretch, actually held the Cavs to 18 points, in the fourth quarter, but it wasn't quite enough to get over the hump execution-wise in the final minutes, and uh, that ends up with a six-point loss on the road in Cleveland. Before we dive into this game, in terms of specifics and the game flow, as well as some takeaways, my own analysis, and much more, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is Prize Picks. Attention NBA fanatics, I have to tell you about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy, I love it, and I know that you will too. PrizePix is the best NBA DFS prop game on the market, and it offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as all the bench players, that only, even if they only record a handful of minutes each and every game. PrizePix offers any prop you can think of, 
In football, it's yardage, touchdowns, even interceptions thrown. In basketball, it's points, it's assists, it's rebounds, and much, much more. And every user that deposits and uses the promo code that we have here will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. And that promo code is NBA. One more time, that promo code is NBA. You pick two to five players and an overrunner on their projections, you can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you against the projected numbers. Prize Picks allows mixed sports entries. You can take the overall on LeBron, combine with the under on Mahomes in the same entry, and that goes for Trey Young as well. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entry can be made 60 seconds or less. It's just that easy. Yes, you can do all of this in under 60 seconds. PrizePix is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepix.com and use the promo code NBA or go to the App Store right now and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite TV shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for all of the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about the simple way to get all the entertainment that you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like they've never been before so you can watch your favorite shows, movies, and sports all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So you can get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That is directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. All right, and we'll dive in now to the start of this contest. It was kind of a sloppy start on both sides of the floor. There were 12 points total between these two teams for the first television timeout. The Hawks were 2 of 11 from the floor. Collins missed some free throws. Uh, he's actually, he was actually 0 of 2 at the outset. He's about the 80% free throw shooter, so that's kind of an indicator of how sloppy it was in some respects. Um, they had the other hunter on Colin Sexton at the outset, and that's been the primary against whoever the league guard's been the last two games. They had Trey on Rubio and Bogdanovich on Lloyd Markkinen. Cleveland's a very weird team. They play a couple of smaller guards and then a bunch of bigs, and it's a very strange alignment for the most part. Uh, it was actually Kevin Herter as the first sub, coming for, for Bogdanovich, who had two fouls. Um, then Clint Capella came out after that. Cleveland actually played this lineup that just could not generate any offense with Rubio, Okoro, Lori Markkinen, uh, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. Just no space at all. But the Hawks did do a good job, I thought, particularly in the first half of uh, walling off the paint and doing a quality job, forcing Cleveland into some bad contested looks offensively. The offense did pick up a little bit um, later in the first quarter for the Hawks. There was a nice dunk by Capella off a nice pass from Kevin Herter. And then Young hit at Hunter on a kickout pass for a three. And then Young hit a step back three over Jared Allen in short order on the left wing. They brought in Cam Reddish and Solomon Hill as the uh, two subs at the forward spots shortly thereafter after uh, Herter came in. Reddish had a nice uh, pull-up jumper, kind of under control, you know, two dribble pull-ups going to his right. That was good to see. And then uh, also to catch and shoot three, to cap a 12-4 run for Atlanta, take their first uh, sort of larger lead in the first quarter of this game. And they closed the first half, sorry, they closed the first quarter with the second unit on the floor with Gorgie Jang and DeLon Wright coming in. A very strange whistle. Um, I'm not going to do too, too much. I try not to go crazy about the officiating in this game, but I think there was some justified, um, I don't know, frustration from Hawks fans in this game. And even Nate McMillan after the game said that Hawks kind of got bothered by the officiating, got that let that get in their heads. I think justifiably so on some level. Obviously, if you're a pro, you don't want to let it bother you, but it was some pretty interesting officiating. Let's just say I thought it was pretty bad officiating at times, kind of um, lots of whistles and also just kind of indiscriminate when they weren't blowing the whistle. Um, it was definitely a lot of kind of letting them play in that first game against Dallas, not so much in this game. Uh, the Hawks did, they did lead by three points at the end of the first quarter. They shot 39% from the floor, but they actually had two more threes than Cleveland did in the first quarter and grabbed five, five offensive rebounds, uh, so they actually took eight more shots than the Cavs did. 
in that opening period, which was probably helpful on some level. Um, the second quarter, for the most part, was pretty good for the Hawks. In fact, that was their high water mark in the game until the very end of the first quarter. Uh, sorry, the second quarter, which we'll get into in a moment. But the second unit did a, did a pretty good job. Gorgie Jang had a nice trail three. That's kind of a weapon for him. I thought he was very, very good in his first stint. Um, Cam had a nice catch-and-shoot rep. Um, some good rhythm and some tempo there. I think he shot the ball well in this game overall. They stayed with Jang when they brought the Stars back in because Capella was still limited um, in some respect. They did bring him back in pretty quickly after that, but I thought it was notable the first time through the rotation. And then the Hawks had their biggest run of the game. It was a 13-2 push to go up by 12 in the middle of the second quarter. Um, I thought Trey did a good job defensively at times. I got a steal against, um, against Ricky Rubio at one point in this game. I actually had three steals along the way in the first uh, you know, two and a half quarters or so. Um, foul trouble was a problem though for Atlanta. John Collins got three fouls and sat late in the half. They actually brought in Reddish to play with Hunter at the uh, three and the four together. It was a nice pre-lob pass from Trey Young to put Capella in the foul like two minutes or so, just as smooth as possible. You know, vintage Trey setting it up, delivering the pass like it was nonchalant, just even though, even though it was an awesome play. Uh, and then actually, basically, no one could stay in front of him the entire half. I will say that he got he got wherever he wanted in the first half of this game against Sexton, against Rubio, against Decoro. It didn't really matter who was guarding him. He kind of got wherever he wanted. He wasn't shooting well, but in terms of just penetration and creating avenues and all that stuff, he did a good job on that. The Bucks had a pretty bad close in the second quarter, which ended up being pretty ominous. So, in the final 38, sorry, the final 28 seconds of this game in the first half, it was Ricky Rubio hitting two threes sandwiched around a Trey Young deep three attempt. And, you know, I'm actually a proponent of Trey shooting more threes, if anything. But this is one where it, didn't, it was not the greatest time to do that. You know, it wasn't a two for one. It wasn't a late clock situation where you're taking a, a deep three it's not going to really burn you it's like 14 15 left on the on the uh, game clock at that point in time and it kind of led to Rubio hitting the other three so a 6-0 run isn't going to end the game or anything like that but you go from up fairly comfortably as much as 13 at one point and then you go into the half only up by three because of those last six points in the final 30 seconds so that's sort of an ominous little thing looking ahead to the second half but in general the first half was decent for Atlanta Trey had 15 and 6 before halftime um, 14 assists and with three turnovers, that's a huge number. McMillan loves that, I'm sure. He's always talking about ball security, and three turnovers is very, very good for the Hawks in a half of basketball. The line was not too friendly for the Hawks in this game. We'll get back to that later on. They only took four in the first half. Um, only shot eight, eight of 18 from the rim as well. That's pretty below average in terms of efficiency and um, and volume at the rim. And they lost the paint battle, actually. Cleveland had 30 points in the paint at the first half uh, break, and that was not um, the best thing in the world for the defense. After halftime was the real disaster in this game. As I said before, the game basically swung on this stretch. So when you combine the last 30 seconds of the first half and the third quarter, that was kind of the game. So the first play that happened was actually kind of strange in the second half. If you missed this game, uh, Hunter got hit in the face by Colin Sexton on an offensive play within the like, first 30 seconds of the half, first possession of the, first, of the, of the third quarter. A long review, not a flagrant. Uh, at least it was ruled on a flagrant, but that's kind of a, a stop and start thing at the beginning of the second half. But then Cleveland had actually scored their first eight points of the third quarter to go up by five in the first two minutes. And, you know, the offense had slipped for the Hawks at that point in time. It kept going down. In fact, it became a 15-0 run by the Cavs to open the third quarter. And when you combine that 15-0 run with the first six points, sorry, the final six points of the first half, Cleveland scored 21 consecutive points between the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half. Um, when that happens, you are probably going to lose. Not always, but because the Hawks could have won this game, but... I mean, 21-0 run is basically the difference between a comfortable Hawks win and a six-point loss. That's basically that one. You have to circle that. The Hawks missed their first eight shots in that period of time uh, and nine shots overall dating back to the first half. They didn't score for about four minutes um, before Hunter finally got on the board 
And again, they, they went from down 13 to up 12, sorry, went from up 13 to down 12 in about six minutes of real time, game time. It was a disastrous stretch, and that is what lost, lost in this game in the aggregate. Um, part of that, you know, Collins got, went to the bench early with foul trouble. He actually got his fourth foul early in the third quarter, um, limited time there. There was one little point of resistance from the Hawks, a 7-0 run of their own, uh, a nice finish by Cam Reddish, actually, to end that push for Atlanta. Um, Trey actually had some nice steals during that st- stretch as well, getting his uh, getting his hands in pass lanes, etc. But another 8-0 run by the Cavs to kind of stabilize things on their end, going back up by 13 points. And it was a 23-7 start in the third quarter overall in favor of Cleveland. And the thing about this, it was it was both sides of the floor. Cleveland had a 3-2 zone working defensively that seemed to flummox the Hawks quite a bit, which Miller even admitted to after the game. They didn't really have a, a plan for that, at least at least execution-wise. They couldn't really figure that out on the fly. And then offensively, Cleveland had 23 points in seven minutes, and this is not a great offense from Cleveland. So a two-way disaster from the Hawks in that little stretch of time. There was a big three by Solomon Hill late in the third quarter to kind of uh, had the bleeding stop a little bit, but they still were down by 11 at the end of the third. They lost the third quarter by, by 14 points. They shot 27% from the floor. They took four free throw attempts against only uh, against 12 for Cleveland. And again, a, a minus 20 or so in about 12 and a half minutes of game time for the Hawks at that point in time. Um, in the fourth, the Hawks, again, failed to really score for a while. But I guess at the outset, I should mention that Reddish had a couple of big shots, keeping the Hawks' uh, margin from, like, you know, seven or nine, something like that. It could have gotten out of control, and it didn't. But then the Hawks didn't score for three and a half minutes again in the fourth quarter. Now, the deficit only went from five up to nine, because Cleveland also couldn't score in this stretch. The officiating was still kind of a mess, again, in this stretch as well. But there was a big sequence, I thought, I, that I want to circle. It was probably... Um, the single biggest play of the fourth quarter in retrospect other than the final minutes. But there was a sequence where Collins missed a wide-open three, and then the Cavs got two off the rebounds in a row, and then they hit a three on that possession. So a six-point swing, including sort of a back-breaking offensive rebound sequence for Cleveland, and that kind of uh, hurt and stuck out in my mind along the way. The Hawks did have a good 6-0 run at a good time, about, with about five minutes to go to get the lead down from nine down to three. Um, and they get, they got sort of hang, sort of hung in that range. It never got to the point where the Hawks actually got within actually tying the game or getting that close. Um, a couple turnovers. There's one uh, pretty bad one by Trey Young at one point with about four minutes to go to go down by seven. They trade buckets twice. Capella missed both free throws with about three minutes to go. That definitely hurt as well. Would have gotten the uh, deficit down to I think seven at that point in time. But that's always, always a question with Clint, who was awesome, but a bad free throw shooter, and that kind of reared its ugly head at that point in time. They got to stop with about 90 seconds to go. And then Trey gets called, does manages to draw a foul on a three. He actually got reviewed. It went the Hawks' way. He made all three, and the Hawks are down by four with about 75 seconds to go. Uh, you're still the underdog there by a lot in that spot, but, you know, that's definitely manageable. They almost got a steal on the next possession. It was loose ball for a long time, kind of pinging around under bodies and all that kind of stuff. Cleveland, though, got, got it, uh, at least in theory, and called timeout. I was surprised, and I think it was the wrong decision to give them a timeout at that point. I think it was kind of dual possession on some level. Hawks fans not pleased. I'm sure Nate McMillan was not pleased, but that ended up being a big play. Uh, not, not because Cleveland scored, but because, you know, the timing and all that stuff. Actually, Cleveland missed a pretty decent look by McMarkinen after, the t- after a timeout was given. But then Trey turned the ball over. That was, sort of, that was probably a big play as well to give them a chance. Uh, if they had scored there, it would have a, really, a real live chance down by four. But um, Allen steals the pass. The Cavs did miss a shot, again, with Laurie Markin. and actually shot it way too quickly. Uh, he shot up with about 12 seconds on the shot clock, up by four. That was a bad shot by Markkinen. But then Hunter missed a pretty decent look on the left wing on a three that would have been big. And then Reddish kind of inexplicably took like, this like weird turnaround jumper. 
you know, when you're down by four with that little time, you got to take a three or get an absolutely wide open layup. What you don't want to do is get a rebound and take like a 12 foot turnaround tough shot. That was a bad shot by Cam. It didn't really matter at that point, I don't think, but just something to little sort of put a pin in. Um, still, they had to foul from there. Cleveland makes both, and that's kind of the end of the game. Uh, down by six with 13 seconds to go. So, kind of made a meta bit, kind of made a mess of it throughout this contest. We'll get into sort of the takeaways at the end of this game, but. Generally, there were some opportunities that the Hawks had along the way. I don't think many guys played particularly well in this game overall, but the third quarter was their downfall in the fourth. The defense was actually pretty good, and they just couldn't score quite enough to get over the hump. But we'll get into the takeaways and some individual breakdown stuff in a moment on the podcast. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Bilt Bar. With Built Bar, there are so many delicious flavors that there's always something for everyone, and honestly, it's difficult to pick just one. If you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're always passionate about their favorites, but for me, I have more than one, quite frankly. If you don't know all the Built Bar flavors at this point in time, you're absolutely missing out. They have coconut, they have cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, German chocolate, and my personal favorite has to be cookies and cream. It's been that way for a long time, but even with my affection for cookies and cream, there are other options that are honestly just about as good and really they're fantastic for everyone that enjoys Built Bar. In addition to being extremely tasty and Built Bar is extremely tasty, they're also very, very healthy. They have 17 to 18 grams of protein. The calorie range is 130 to 180. They only have four or five grams of sugar and they only have four or five grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors all the way across the board. They're all tasty and they're all healthy. If you order today, they get the grass popper cookie or the raspberry or whatever you like. And if you go to built.com and use the promo code locked on, you're 15% off your order with Built Bar. Use the promo code locked on, 15% off at built.com. Have you ever gone to a chain store looking for auto parts that fit your car? Is it maddening? Because it is for me. I know it has been in the past and it will be if I ever try that again. But frankly, I don't ever need to do that again because of rockauto.com. Rock Auto has been serving auto parts customers for 20 years at this point in time. And you could save time and money when you use Rock Auto. They have all kinds of auto parts that will fit your lifestyle, fit your preferences and the best part is you don't have to endure the pointless questioning from someone behind the counter who's only looking to sell you the one part or one kind of part that they have in their warehouse. RockAuto.com has everything you could possibly need from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. And honestly, the prices are always reliably low for every customer and they really serve the do-it-yourselfer very, very effectively. You can go explore their website right now. It's very easy to use. You can find a solution to your auto parts needs in one place. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you want to write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. All right, we'll dive into the rest of the takeaways and everything else from today's game. One thing I will say at the top of this segment, and sort of got into it at the very beginning of the podcast, this is kind of a bad loss for the Hawks. Um, it is one of 82, so you want to overstate it. Uh, this is not like a totally embarrassing performance. It wasn't completely putrid. I don't, I don't want to like just rant and rave about it, but it's a bad performance in a lot of ways. You know, being an eight-point favorite kind of tells the story to some extent, but Cleveland was not at full strength. Um, neither were the Hawks, and I think Gallinari actually would have helped the Hawks quite a bit in this game, which is worth pointing out that his lack, you know, the, the lack of size there without him and the lack of shooting probably hurt them a little bit in this game. With that said, you know, you got to win this game. You're, you're the better team. You're the deeper team. Um, you know, yes, it was home court um, for Cleveland, but they actually had to play yesterday, all that stuff. So not great overall, let's just say, uh, as a broad takeaway from this game, but uh, I don't want to go crazy uh, just for one game in October. Um you know, McMillan talked about him, how they thought that he was, they were sort of outworked a little bit in this game. I don't think that's wrong necessarily. Cleveland played pretty, pretty hard, I thought, in this contest. I do think that the Hawks kind of let up a little bit 
Um, some of that's execution. They did not make shots really at all in this game. But when with a double-digit lead against a team that you're better than, maybe you sort of mentally switch off a little bit later in the second quarter. There were some mental errors, I thought, in that second quarter, and especially early in the third, that just were not, um, you know, not a lot of verve happening with the Hawks in that game. Um, you know, offensively, it was kind of a mess. You know, again, shot making, but they scored less than a point per possession against a not great Cavs defense. They're not terrible defensively necessarily with the group they have available right now, but not the best in the world. The Hawks shot 38% from the floor and 29% from three. Both of those are pretty bad, obviously. A 45% true shooting is very bad because you combine that with 915 from the front of the free throw line. Trey Young was 7 of 7. The rest of the team was 2 of 8 in the free throw line. Reddish was 2 of 4, and then 0 of 2 for Capella and 0 of 2 for Collins. That will not get it done. In the second half, it was even worse. They shot 32% from the floor and 21% from three after halftime. They did have 10 off rebounds in the second half. That definitely helped a little bit with some extra possessions. But um, aside from there being only nine turnovers, that's the one positive offensively in this game. I guess there were two. Offensive rebounding was was pretty good. They had 17, and they, uh, that's about 30%. That's a pretty good number offensive re- on the glass. And nine turnovers, but uh, 20 assists is pretty bad. The shooting numbers were obviously brutal. Nothing in transition for the most part, and uh, that's not going to get it done, especially on, I guess, a pretty bad Cavs team. Um, again, the zone that Cleveland used I thought was very smart. Um, it shouldn't fl- flummox you as much as it probably did to the Hawks in this game. They lost the second half, though, by nine points to a team in Cleveland that only shot 37% after halftime. The fourth quarter was kind of Cleveland tried to give it back to you. They scored 18 points. It wasn't impressive at all by the Cavs, but um, the offense for the Hawks just was not good in this game. One thing I will point out is that the free throw disparity stood out in a lot of people's minds. 27 attempts at the line for the Cavs, 15 for the Hawks. Um, and not always is it, um, I'm not the first person to kind of shout about that number as being like indicative of bad officiating, all that stuff. Well, sometimes one team just gets to the line and plays more physically. I thought the Hawks had some pretty interesting non-calls, some pretty bad non-calls, and also some interesting touch fouls on the other end of the floor. Did it change the game? Uh, would it have won that game for the Hawks? I'm not sure about that, but I think it was a poorly officiated game, which probably um, obviously contributed on some level. And I think through two games, it's only two games, but the Hawks were a top three or four team in the league last year in free throw rate on the offensive side, on the offensive side of the floor. And through two games, they were not getting in the line much. Um, that's something to, to sort of circle. You know, Trey, Trey took seven, so it wasn't just Trey. Uh, you know, Trey got the line plenty in this game. It's everybody else. Not a whole lot of physicality going to the rim overall in this game. And, you know, defensively, it was fine. You know, you allow a 1.05 points per possession rate to the opposition. You're supposed to win more, more often than not. You'll take that. Um, that's definitely like a top five, six number in the league um, over a broad sample size. Now, Cleveland's pretty bad offensively, so adjust for that a little bit. The only thing that I will say that was not great defensively is allowing 54 points in the paint to the Cavs. That's something you have to sort of circle. But Cleveland did not shoot well from three. They were contested pretty well from the Hawks. They did a good job rebounding in this game. So it wasn't like they had a bad defensive night. Uh, there was really that only on that one stretch in the third quarter that was actually kind of bad. So it did enough defensively, not enough offensively in this game. On the player side, um, in counter to playing a lot of guys because of garbage time in the opener, it was 10 guys and 10 guys only for the Hawks in this game against only eight for Cleveland. And the second unit is the second unit. It's, it was the same as it was the other day without Gallinari. Obviously, it will change when Gallo comes back, but it's that second unit of Wright, Herter, Reddish, Hill, and Jang. They played together once again in this game. People were asking me why I said that I didn't like that in the first game. Um, I'm just not a fan of full second units really for any team. I think it's in the modern NBA where most teams are not playing 10, 11 guys. 
Um, you want to have your starters uh, on the floor. At least, to, you know, I, I'm definitely more of a fan of staggering, particularly when you have creators. Like, I think John Collins with the second unit is a good idea, but they probably should use more often. They have guys who can be the centerpiece of, of the offensive unit. Now, I do think that the Hawks do have more talent on their second unit than most teams do when you're trying to play a full second unit, but you don't often see full second units for five, six minutes at a time. Um, that's not something that I love. You usually have at least one or two starters bridging the gap. And I guess the other argument would be that when they had Gallinari, um, Gallinari is a starting, cal- starting caliber offensive player, as is Kevin Herter. And, you know, Reddish has been obviously a focal point so far as well. Those guys, yeah, yes, that's better than you usually has. That's sort, of, that's, sort of the count, that's sort of the counter. I'm not I'm not yelling and screaming about this. It doesn't bother me, but, you know, part of the, part of the job here is to give my own thoughts and opinions and analysis on that. I don't love using the full second unit as much as they have, but it has not hurt them. In fact, in this game, um, the second unit was better than the first unit, which is uh, you know worth worth pointing out on that on that front. All the bench guys, other than Cam, had plus minuses. They were in the positive in this game. Anyway, Delon Wright I thought was pretty good. He was one of the bright spots. Four points, four rebounds, and four assists in 13 minutes. Didn't didn't play a ton. It was basically just when Trey was off the floor. But I thought he played pretty solid basketball across the board. Um, Herter had a kind of a rough shooting night. It was two of nine from the floor and 0 of four from three. Did have two assists and a steal. It was plus 10. I didn't think he was very good. He wasn't terrible, but just did not shoot the ball well at all in this game. I thought Gorky Jang was uh, a legitimate positive. Five points, eight rebounds in 19 minutes. He has two turnovers, but other than that, um, a pretty efficient, pretty solid game. Hit the one trail three as well. Solomon Hill made two of four from three, which is all you can ask for in offense. Um, I don't think he was very good uh, overall in this game. Defensively, was not his best effort probably in this spot, but actually they were plus three with him on the floor. And then Reddish, 19 points, six rebounds. That's obviously very, very solid. Did have 14 shot attempts in 28 minutes, a little bit less frequency than last game, but he has not been shot through, through two games, getting shots up. Uh, and I, I, did, I did think, though, notably, I thought his selection was better in this game than it was in the opener. Uh, for the most part, he took some pretty good looks, like catch and shoots. They're definitely aggressive. He's looking for a shot, but I am certainly totally fine with Cam taking catch and shoot shots that are good looks or taking under control pull-ups going to his right. The step backs are my, probably not my favorite, but the ones that are going toward the rim in under control, like he had a couple of really, 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 really solid um, confident-looking attempts from like 12 feet in this game. Had a great layup that he finished early on. So the scoring has been impressive for Cam. I will note that he has, I think he has one assist now in two games and three turnovers. So um, the passing, not quite there yet, but he's shooting the heck out of the ball right now, which is uh, obviously a positive thing. The minus 12 for him, I think it's not really indicative of the way that Cam played. I think he was better than that. I do think that it was probably just because the starters were kind of bad and he ended up playing some time with Collins off the floor that um, the Hawks got pretty beaten badly with that in the third quarter because of the uh, Collins foul trouble. So that's kind of where most of that came from with his minus 12, but I think Cam was better than that on the whole. And the starters were not good in this game. That's just something that has to be said. So Bogdanovich, five points in 27 minutes on seven shot attempts. Didn't do a whole lot offensively. Um, He's a threat, of course, to be guarded, but not his best work overall. Hunter was not efficient, 12 points on 16 shot attempts, two of eight from three. You don't want to see uh, that happen too much. Uh, Although I like him being aggressive, but not necessarily on a night like this where he he didn't really have it too, too much. I thought Capella was fine, but finishing-wise around the rim, struggled. Um, only 5 of 12 from the floor. That's pretty bad for Clint on his shot diet. Then a 14 rebounds and two blocks, so I think defensively he was pretty good. But offensively, not his best work, including the 0 for 2 at the free throw line in the fourth quarter. Collins, I thought, was okay when he was able to play, but the five fouls really got under his skin. He ended up playing a lot less than you would expect because of the foul trouble, and actually was 0 of 3 on threes. Well, 3 of 5 on twos, but missed free throws as well. Just didn't have a jump shot in this game. Then a 12 rebounds, a steal, and a block. And was plus 10. I don't think he was good for his standards. He was a general positive. I think overall just didn't have a good shooting night and could not stay on the floor, which he has to be able to do 
and then Trey Young, you know, there was definitely some positive for Trey in this game. 24 points, 7 assists, 3 steals. I think defensively he was pretty active and pretty strong in this game. Um, but 7 of 16 on 2s, 1 of 6 on 3s. They get to the line 7 times and made all 7. So not his best, not his worst. Kind of a, a middling game, which is kind of crazy because he still had 24 and 7 with 3 steals. So a middling game for Trey Young is still, you know, star level performance. But... I don't think he played his best in this game. He's actually the only guy to play more than 30 minutes, which I actually put, I wanted, I noticed that in a big way. I was not surprised because the bench was playing well, but I think in general, that was more of the bench than you will normally see in a competitive game for the Hawks. I think you'll probably see more minutes for guys like Collins, Capella. Uh, obviously, Capella's limited right now, but Collins because of the foul trouble, 130 minutes. Uh, Bogey played 27 minutes. Um, wasn't great in this game either. So we'll kind of leave it there for now. But, oh, the one thing I did want to mention real quickly is that Trey Young, um, hit the 503 point mark in his career. That's 500 threes in his in his career so far. He became the fourth fastest player in NBA history to reach that mark, and the sixth youngest player in NBA history to reach that mark. So another uh, indication of how productive he's been early on. I always wanted to mention that before I forgot to do that at the end of the podcast. From here, the Hawks go to back to Atlanta. Um, they play Monday at home against the uh, Pistons, who are not playing super well right now. No kid Cunningham in the early going, and Detroit um, is not. Actually, as I'm recording this, they're actually losing at the half to Chicago. Maybe they came back and won by, by, by that point. But uh, their opener was not great, uh, etc. So we'll see. The Hawks will be favored in that game, barring something crazy. And it would be good to see them come back and win that one. And then Wednesday, Thursday, their first back-to-back of the season. They actually have to go to Washington on Thursday. But before that, they go to New Orleans. So kind of a weird road trip when you fly Atlanta to New Orleans and then to Washington, D.C., back-to-back-to-back. Not the greatest travel situation there, but we'll have all of that covered on the podcast this week. By the way, if you missed anything from last week, I had Robbie Callen on the show for two different podcasts. I had Sarah Spencer on the podcast. I had Tower Jones with me briefly after the season opener on Thursday evening. It's been very, very busy on the pod. Hopefully everybody's enjoying the show at this point in time. But please take a second and subscribe to the show via the platform of your choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you like listening to podcasts. We should be there. But please tell your friends. Follow the show on Twitter at Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. And we'll see you after the game on Monday evening.